all is forgiven, I love you. Uh, these six words are from a short story by Ernest Hemingway uh, called The Capital of the World. And in the story, there's a, a father and an estranged teenage son. And he makes, the teenage son leaves, and the father makes every effort to find the son, uh, but he, to no avail. And, and to the point that he ends up putting an ad in the newspaper in, in Madrid. And uh, the ad says, uh, Dear Paco, um, all is forgiven, I love you. Meet me at the post office tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. And as the story goes, 800 Pacos, you know, showed up at, at the post office that day. And the six words, I love you, uh, all is forgiven, I love you, are as powerful and needed today as they are in this story, aren't they? Um, there's a, it spotlights our universal relationship problem with God and with others. Uh, we know deep down that life was intended to be more, that uh, there is, there's a deeper love, a greater love than what we can seem to muster up. Uh, this more of life, this greater love is what we're going to look at today. Um, within all people, there's this longing, uh, you know, it's a utopia. It's like when you see people post things on internet or social media or things, you know, they don't post like this horrible thing and say, isn't this wonderful, right? Uh, we don't, uh, are, we're not drawn to, um, you know, just uh, a horrible scene of something. Uh, when we look at vacations, we look at these nice, pristine beaches where it's clean and pure, and we're, we have this hunger for something more, this, uh, this thing where everything is right. And it's true. We were made for God. We were absolutely made for Him, and we were made for more. Uh, in as we zoom in on this today, um, this, this idea of more and this, this idea of more of God's love and a deeper love, it is, it is not just a, a more problem or a love problem. It's an identity problem uh, because we were, we were chosen, Ephesians 1 through 4. Uh, we were, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. So before God made everything, he decided that we would be in him and be in relationship with him. And so God, who's in perfect community, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, He doesn't need anybody outside of himself. He doesn't need anything outside of this perfect community, this unity. And so what he decided, he decided that he would create us so that we now would be in perfect community unity in community, not only with him, but then with each other. That's what he decided we would have. And, and so that this would be sure to happen, he created us with his image, so that we'd be image bearers of him, so that as we would have points where we needed to reference and say, you know, who am I? Um, you know, that question that you begin to ask, you know, usually in adolescence and in your teens and, you know, maybe even in your 40s, right? You know, uh, you know who am I? Uh, God put his image on us so that we would be able to answer, well, I am the beloved, I'm a child, and I'm the reflection of God. That's who I am. And if ever we came across somebody else and, and we wondered, you know, well, who is this person? Can I trust them? Or, you know, those things. We, we would be able to answer 
And they would be able to answer, they are the beloved, they are the child of God, and they're a reflector of God himself. So that's the way that that God designed it. Uh, How might the world be different if that when I thought of who am I, I said I'm the beloved, the child of God, the reflector of God. And, And when I came across somebody, it wasn't like, oh no, who is this? But it's, they're a child of God, the beloved of God, the reflector of God. Uh, one of our sons, are, are, uh, when he was real little, um, he thought his, his, that his name was you. Uh, because, and we, we didn't understand at first because we would, you know, trying to get him to say his name, we would say, uh, you know, what's your name? Who are you? You. And we're, right, well, no, who are you? You. And then we figured it out because we would say, what are you doing? Uh, let me help you. Uh, where are you going well, aren't you big stuff? I love you so much. So it's kind of attractive when it's put that way, right? Like, that's, you know, I'm you. When you is used in those terms. And so his reference point, his identity, would come from the input that we would give him. Uh, and so that's, that's encouraging. And that's how we have our being. Like, that's all we are in our brains. We take in information. And we're informed about who we are, but turn it around because our identity gets hijacked sometimes, doesn't it? Actually, not sometimes, a lot of the time. From very early on, our identity gets hijacked, and so change it around with this. What's your name? Who are you? Well, I'm you. Well, what are you doing, stupid? You aren't good enough to do that. Let me have it. I can't believe you thought that was the way to go. Well, aren't you a failure? I hate you. So you now has a totally different understanding. The whole identity of you is changed just by the input that is put in. This person is now different, and they get a different reference point with what they put in. I had a calculator several years ago, and it took me a bit to figure it out, but it had an intermittent error, and it would give me the wrong answers, right? You don't expect that. I mean, we, we are so reliant upon these machines, and I would sit there, and I'd put the thing down, and then I'd go back and look. That doesn't seem right, but then it would be right. And I don't know whether it was a button that was off or it, you know, something fried in the, the motherboard on this thing or whatever, but it was giving me the wrong data because it was getting the wrong data, and the reference point was off. And that's what's happened with all people. Uh, It's what we call the fall. Uh, Adam and Eve chose a self-reference point over a God-reference point. You can read that in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. And this is what we see is that God tells Adam and Eve, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So that's the information that he told Adam and Eve. But the devil came as a serpent. And what he did is he gave them different information uh, about everything that was happening. Uh, And this is what he said. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the line was is that you'll get more. God's holding out on you. But what you need to do is do this and you'll truly have more. But they got much less, didn't they? Because what Adam and Eve did is they, they then had a self-reference instead of a God-reference. 
When they would ask who they were or they would ask who someone else was, they now had a different reference point than what God decided. And this is called the total depravity of humankind or man, is that we are enslaved to sin and we are at a place that we cannot help ourselves. We cannot make ourselves right. We need intervention from the outside that as we reference ourselves over and over, it's just a perpetual black hole that we can't get out of without intervention from the outside. And then what happened next was that Adam and Eve played the first game of hide-and-seek. This is what they did. It says, uh, but God, the Lord God called the man. Where are you? He answered. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And so they hid themselves because they were naked. They felt shame. They had no reference point for that before. But now they had a different reference point. And so when God came, they hid themselves. The new reference point informed them was something different. That they were not the beloved. That they were not the child of God. That they weren't the reflector of God. There was a totally different understanding of self that happened because of the choice that they made. Now, when they hid and encountered God, they presented false selves. They blame shifted. The woman said, or, you know, the man said, it was the woman you gave me that tempted me. And the woman said, well, it was the serpent that tempted me. And so now you weren't dealing with Adam and Eve, the reflection of God, the beloved of God, the child of God. You didn't know what you were dealing with. This is what happened when they decided to have a different reference point. So God reference was traded for self-reference. True self was traded for false self. And identity changed altogether. And so it is today. We look around us. Uh, Many of the results of this is that we are all victors, reluctant participants, conscientious observers, and losers to the achievement-oriented and competitive lifestyles that our self-referencing false selves have created. Here's some of that. We have a compulsion to succeed, achieve at any cost, earn affection of others by achievement, self-worth from what we do. All of this resulted in a forfeiting of love. So that's why when you hear real love, we're like, okay, I'm in. I want to hear this. Competition keeps us from giving it. Achievement and addiction keeps us from receiving it. And then we hide our true selves from other people. We have our public persona, and then we have the real person. Who am I dealing with here? What mask is this person wearing? What mask am I wearing? We become people that are tense, manipulative, deceptive, controlling, competitive, cruel to one another and ourselves. Now, Paul said it like this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we observe this at its worst, this murder and hate, uh, all the time. Uh, Recently in Sri Lanka towards Muslims... Um, or in New Zealand towards Muslims, in Sri Lanka towards Christians, and then just last weekend towards Jews in San Diego. We see this put out there that to the extent that we can do this as we self-reference in just a perpetual black hole. Now, there are other attempts out there to try to give answers for this, right? Uh, And so we have humanism. 
uh, humanism in the world, this belief system, uh, really is, is in a sense of revival. People are grabbing onto it more and more. Now, humanism, as it interacts with this, uh, what they would see, um, their belief would be that I was made for happiness. Okay? Um, and uh, the problem is, is that humanism con- confuses pleasure for happiness. They're actually chemically different in our bodies. See, happiness is endorphins, right? Endorphins are different. Pleasure is dopamine. So think of like gambling. You post something on Facebook or Instagram and everybody's liking it. They like the food that I'm eating. And you're, whoo, and you, you get pumped up, right? You feel good. Or think addictions, you know, sexual addictions, uh, substance abuse addictions, uh, media addictions. You look at all these things, and that's really pleasure. That's not happiness. You have to keep doing it to get that. And humanism uh, confuses that for happiness. Now, sin within humanism is anything that causes me to have more responsibility. If something gives me responsibility and takes away from my happiness, that's sin. Right? So I need to deal with sin. So salvation is me getting more and more in touch with myself. But the problem is, is that my inner child, who I am, right? The problem is, is that we're getting more and more into self-reference. So I'm going to keep referencing myself over and over and over again. And it's a loop that never ends, just like I said before, like a black hole. So we see this in in Scripture. We see in Genesis 11, we see that the Tower of Babel was being built and people built these grand structures, uh, you know, for how amazing they were. And we have that in our world today, don't we? We still are building amazing things so that we reference a different point. Uh, That's how it is today. Uh, Now, if you're a religious person, um, it doesn't get any better than humanism. Because we can still bring this self-referencing into, hum- into our relationship with God. So a religious person can just bring this self-referencing. And when God comes in, well, it's, it's kind of like I'm adding God to me. God is making me better. You know, I'm, I'm you know, God's, you know, blessing, 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 right? And it's the same pleasure thing. And when God obeys you and does everything you want. But the problem is, is that what do you do when God isn't doing what you want anymore? And so religion has the same problem. We filter God through our own self-reference, our false self. See, our false self, you guys, has relentless pursuit to control everything in our lives. And so we may interact with God through that false self rather than him his self. I mean, that's what Jesus dealt with. I mean, right? He, he came on the scene and you had all these people that had all of this religious activity and, and they, they seemed so contrite and so right and, and they knew all the right things to say and they did all the right things. And yet Jesus told them that they were like, um, they were like, a, like a dirty cup, that it looked really good on the outside, but on the inside it was filthy. You clean up the outside so it looks good, but inside. And he talked to them that it doesn't start with the outside appearance, but it's actually, it's actually true life comes from the inside out. 
that as I'm changed, it actually changes everything around me. And so here's what we have to deal with is, is that there's the self-reference, the false self, and, and it wants to stay in control. Is there any hope? Is there any hope for this that, that, that we can be changed? If the humanistic way of just seeking pleasure and happiness doesn't do it, what can do it? If the religious way of just me trying to follow a system doesn't do it, what is the hope of this? Well, here's the hope is, is, is that God is love. See, Jesus shared a story that's recorded in Luke 15 to express the problem of self-reference, false identity, and God's solution to the problem. Let's read it together. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. Uh, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when his son, this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father, said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the younger brother reveals his self-reference and false self by his rejection of the proximity of the father. He doesn't want to be around the father. And then he just wants to take everything and leave. When he said, give me my inheritance, he basically said, you're dead to me. Just give me what I have. Now, here's the other side of the thing. The other brother, notice that it said early on, he said he he split it between them. So he gave the brother that stayed there everything as well. Now, the other brother that stayed, he revealed his self-reference and false self because what he did, even though he was in the proximity of the father, he had this silence 
about his total inability to be intimate and to be his real self with the Father, even though he was around him. He hid it. But here's the thing, though. This story is not about the son that took off and squandered everything. It's not about the brother that stayed and his heart was cold, even though he looked like he had it all together. The story is actually about God. It's actually about God um, being at the center of all of our stories and, and coming in and trying to rescue us and bring us back. It's about the true God that loves extravagantly. It's about a God that has this wild, reckless love that he will actually do absolutely anything so that we would be brought back to the relationship and image that he has for each of us. So the true God that loves in that moment Remember, go all the way back to Genesis where uh, things were, were, were taken off. The next scene where they hid from God, God finds out what's happening, even though he knew, right? But he asked questions. And he says to them, he looks at them, and then he looks at the serpent, Satan, and he says, look, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. In other words, I'm going to cut off what you entered in here, this self-reference, this false reference, I'm going to put something between it. And he says this, he says, and he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. So this enmity to cut it off would be personal. It would be a person. It would be a person that would do this. So we see that God has a plan even though things fell off. And it's his love all throughout revealing it. So we see it when, when God calls a people through Abraham by faith. We see these people come to God and, and God builds this people. But what happens is, is that God loves them. God cares for them. And they reject him time and time again. They do a whole lot of confessing. And then repenting, confessing is agreeing, repenting is changing directions. They confess, change directions, but they are pretty good at U-turns. And we see that all throughout their history to the point that one of the most vivid examples is the prophet Hosea. God spoke to him and he said, look, I want you to go marry this woman. I mean, who, right? I'm praying that God would, you know, God would bless me with a woman or God would bless me with a man. God would bless me with, with somebody that I can share my life with. And, and, you know, and, you know, and great. And he says, so this is who she is. She's Gomer, the prostitute. That's who I want you to go marry. So Hosea follows, and in, in his mind, the story is, is that God rescues this woman, and God loves this woman, and through his love and in Hosea's love, things are made right. But what actuality, she leaves him time and time again and, uh, and goes back to her ways, and she has children with other men, and, and she leaves, and God says to Hosea, go back and get her. Go back and get your wife. Where is your wife? Go get your wife. And then he says to him, look, I want you to preach to the nation of Israel that you are like Gomer. You are like this wayward woman. And yet I am like Hosea. I come after you time and time again. My love is covenant love. Nothing changes it. My love is said love. It's compassionate love. Nothing can keep you from my love. I will come after you time and time again, even though you reject me. This is my love for you. So 
now remember, God said that his love would be personal. So we, we see it through a people, and yet the people of Israel are unfaithful. But then we have cruciform love enter, where God the Son himself became one of us uh, to bring light into the darkness, to bring wholeness where there's brokenness, to bring life where there's death. And, and you guys, this is needed because... God's word says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so glory is someone's substance. So when we look at it, we say our self-reference, we've created a substance, a life, a false self. And so it's not the glory of God. And yet we were created for that. We were created to have the image of God, to be the child of God, the beloved of God. And then Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. But God has given us a free gift of eternal life in Jesus. So like when you go to work tomorrow, right, you know that you're going to earn a certain wage for what you do. So because of our sin, and we've all sinned, and we've all self-referenced, we've all created that false self, we earn death. We earn death or separation from God. That's what we earn because of it. But here's the good news. It says, Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we never have to wonder how God feels about us. Ever. This is actually one of my favorite verses. When I do weddings, I always throw this in there. You're like, well, gosh, that's kind of, you're talking about sinners. And, you know, listen, in marriage, we, we need grace and forgiveness, don't we? Right? And, but here's the thing, though. It, it just, it's such a clear picture that God didn't wait for us to do anything. Like, God didn't say, you know what, Sally, she's kind of getting it together. I'm going to do something for her. You know, John, he's getting it together. I'm going to let him in. No, it's just like, look, while you're totally off, while you're totally off base, while you're totally self-referencing, while you're totally in this false self, just putting on this mask, this show, I'm going to die for all of you. That's God's love for us. Now, Romans, uh, John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we look at that because we look at length, right? Like what's in it for me, right? What's the quality here? What's the value here? But that's substance. Eternal life is substance and it starts now. The message we've gotten, I think, through poor teaching, and I had to learn this too, is not about like, hey, when you die, where are you going to be? Yes, that's part of the thing. But what about now? See, we've taken God and we've made him really some, he, not powerful or not real or not present because we said like, hey, God's territory is on the other side of death. But what about now? And so there's substance of life that he gives to us now. But it's a restoring, you guys, right? Because John 1.12 says that, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So full circle. God speaks into creation. These are my beloved. These are my children. These are the ones that will reflect what I'm like to all people. 
and then we all mess it up. Where not only do we not know who we are, but we don't know who other people are. But then through Jesus Christ, we come full circle. That image comes back again. That's what love does in us. You guys, God's love is real. It does something in me. It's not just something, because I remember I wasn't raised in the church, so people would tell me, you know, Jesus loves you. And I'm like, cool, great. I, I had no reference point. But this makes sense, doesn't it? That his love is relentless in bringing me back to who I'm supposed to be. Working in us, coming back full circle. Now, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So glory to glory... Glory is what we've all built. That's our self-reference. That's our substance. That's how we've jacked it up. Going back to like all the things that we've created, how we've hurt each other, how we've done things to each other. That's the glory that he takes us from that glory to the glory of being just like him. That's what he's doing in us. And in next week, that's what we're going to look at. Because it's not just, okay, I'm there but it's something he works out during our lives. He's working that out in your life. You're being transformed more into the image of God, becoming more and more like him, the beloved of God, the child of God. That's what's happening in you. So you say to yourself, hopefully, what do I do? What what do I do now? Well, I was um, reminded of this song this week. It's by a band called Switchfoot, a rock band. And, um, uh, it's about St. Augustine. Uh, St. Augustine uh, lived in the 4th century, and uh, he had everything in life that he could want, and, and yet he had an awakening. He, he gave his life to Jesus Christ and um, had a huge impact upon uh, the world. And, but most of all, he met the one that loved him. And this is what the song says. Augustine just woke up with a broken heart. All this time, he's never been awake before. At 31, his whole world is a question mark. All this time, he's never been awake before. Watching dreams that he once had feed the flame inside his head in a quiet desperation of the emptiness, he says, there's got to be something more than what I'm living for. I'm crying out to you. There's got to be something more than what I'm living for. I'm crying out to you. Augustine, all his fears keep falling out. All this time, he's never been awake before. Finding out his old dreams aren't panning out. All this time, he's never been awake before. But he's mad to be alive, and he's dying to be met. In a quiet desperation of the emptiness, he says, Hey, I give it all away. Nothing I was holding back remains. Hey, I give it all away, looking for the grace of God today. There's got to be something more than what I'm living for. So let's be a people that are transformed by his love. Let's not hold it back. Let's not, even as people that see clearly, that see clearly the love of God and what he's trying to do in our lives, let's, let's, let's uh, participate with him. Like, let's not fight him. Let's see what his love can do amongst a, a, a group of people. Let's, let's, let's let go. I, I had a chiropractor in San Diego I went to for 20 years. His name is Brian. And uh, he'd always get to, he's a big guy, played football. He'd always get to my neck to crack it. And I just, I have white coat syndrome. I don't care who you are. If you say you're going to fix me, I think you're trying to kill me. 
and Brian always gets to, he cracks things, you know, and he gets to my neck and he just knows. And he's, he's got my head and he's like this. And he's like, give it to me, give it to me. And every time he says that, no, no, I'm saying, I'm just, and so, and then this is what he does every time. And I know he's going to do it, but it gets me every time. And he tickles my neck like this. And I go, oh, that's not, and then, oh, let it go, let it go. And that's what the cross of Christ is, you guys. That's what the, the you know, the, you look at this and say, what is that? What is that? That God would become a human, that he would live a perfect life, that he would lay his life down, that he would love me so extravagantly, that he would defeat death. It, it makes no sense whatsoever. And that's exactly why it's God. Because it doesn't make sense to us, because we would just reference it wrong and, and mess it up. And so let's be people that... A community in this church and in Kansas City that just, what could God's love do in my life and me? And all we have to do is receive. Receive it. Let's pray together. Just while we're praying, I want want to give give us an opportunity. Um, You know, if you haven't received that love for the first time, if you haven't said, yeah, God, I'm in. I let it go. I received that. I want you to pray this prayer in your heart to him. And there's not power in the prayer. It's not a, a magic thing. It's, it's the intent of your heart. So if this is the intent of your heart by faith, not that you have it all figured out. You just, you'd say this prayer to him. Lord, come into my life. I am in need of a Savior. I ask you to wash me and cleanse me. And make me new. I believe that you died for my sin. And that you rose again from the dead. Now fill me with new life by your spirit. I now make you the Savior and Lord of my life. And if you prayed that today, if, if between you, me, and God, um, just right where you're at, just, just let your eyes meet mine. Yeah, just look up at me. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you. Yeah. 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 Anybody else? Yeah. Lord, thanks for these responding to you. Fill them with your presence. Fill them with your spirit, God.